Welcome to Step Monsters, a podcast all about the highs and lows of step parenthood. I'm Elise and this is Bailey. We're two friends bonded by this crazy stepmom world. Right. Welcome back to Step Monsters. We are so excited for our special guest that we have with us today. And I want to introduce everybody to my, what he is technically my half-brother, but I don't ever call him that. I just call him my brother. But my brother, Austin, is here to join us. And when we had pulled our audience around specific topics that you were all looking to hear more about, some things that came up a lot were ADHD, were things like autism, how do I know if they have it, what do I do? What's the best way to help this kid be successful? Because whether it's that or a learning disability, there are so many different nuances to that and so many things that you can do to accidentally, what's the word I'm looking for? Accidentally, like I lost my word. I so many things. Accidentally assume that a kid has certain issues when in reality, until you get them evaluated, you really never know. Yeah that what she said she's better at words today than i am words have been a hard thing for me all day long i don't know what it is uh but anyways so austin why don't you introduce yourself tell us a little bit about you and we'll kind of go from there all right um well my name is austin i'm 25 um i was diagnosed with autism at the age of 14 and uh i was diagnosed with adhd at the age of five um with kind of a large gap in between those. It was very interesting kind of growing up as a young young adult and a kid growing up, being the weird ADHD kid to transitioning into that role of, okay, this, this is starting to make a little more sense with me being autistic. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, so we've obviously grew up together and you hopefully don't mind me talking about this, but when you were growing up, making friends was really hard for you. So you were bullied when you were in school, which that could be a whole episode in and of itself. Maybe we should do an episode on that, actually, sometime. Uh, You were bullied a lot. Yeah, you were bullied a lot growing up, which was heartbreaking to watch, by the way. But you just, you were kind of socially awkward. And you didn't really know how to read social cues. And you had a hard time making friends. And it was somewhat validating for everyone around you. And I don't know if you felt this way too, when you did actually finally get the Asperger's diagnosis that like, okay, there's a, there's something chemically here that's causing this. It's not just he was an easy target and it's not just he was socially awkward. There's, there's actually, there was something going on here that was more than that. So for me, from the outsider's perspective, I was like, Oh, okay. And then that opened up a whole new world of tools and advice and things that those around you could do to help and a whole trove of information about like what not to do. So how was that experience for you? How did you feel getting that diagnosis? Well, I mean, I kind of, as I grew older, kind of came to that realization of, okay, things are starting to make sense. But ironically, Um, It didn't impact me for a little bit, at least through high school. Um, I mean, I still struggle with all those things of social cues and making friends and anytime I kind of enter a new environment. But, you know, now that I've grown older, I've gotten tools and the practice to do all those things. But initially, it was kind of not necessarily a shock, but more of a, okay, so I'm not just the weird kid, I'm actually weird. 
and I think it kind of made me reflect a little more inward about who I was and it being autistic it but still having all of these, well, I don't look like the other autistic kids. That kind of took me a minute to realize about doing research into, you know, the spectrum and how, you know, many different people and different kind of things there are in different diagnoses there are in the autism world. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to go back to the ADHD diagnosis for a second here. So ADHD obviously has a broad spectrum of things that that can cause challenges around. So when you were in like elementary school or middle school or high school or even today, what are things that due to ADHD, what are the things that you find really challenging? I'm going to start with the biggest one for me, um, and that's sitting in my seat. I, at least for the longest time, I've gotten better about it, but for the longest time, I struggled to sit in my chair, find something to distract myself, find something to, you know, take my mind off of, okay, you need to sit here, you need to talk, um, or you need to participate and pay attention. Um, I think it was essentially the biggest part. The other thing is keeping focus. My mind will daydream and go off into, you know, my own mind and completely forget about the world around me. And it's... You know, as I've grown older, it's kind of become help more of an asset to have more creativity and imagination. But definitely as, you know, the five, six, seven-year-old me sitting in the classroom that I really don't care about, it was a challenge. That's for sure. In my mind, because my son is six, I think for sure every kid that age has an issue with sitting still. He definitely, his teachers will say it's harder for him to sit still and really focus. And I think it's because he's not challenged enough. But ADHD is so overdiagnosed that how do you tell the difference between a kid who truly has ADHD, you know, between a kid who just is overstimulated or whatever that might look like. But it very may certain be that he has ADHD. Because sometimes I feel like I'm that way. I can't focus at work. I've got to like, have a lot of caffeine or I'm all over the place. But Austin, how did or how do you feel like being diagnosed early on with ADHD? Do you think that that was helpful for when you were diagnosed with autism to say, okay, I already know kind of some of the things that I'm dealing with and how I've created strategies and made changes and then things that were recommended once you were diagnosed later on. Do you feel like that was beneficial for you? Um, I definitely think getting diagnosed with autism was probably one of the greatest things to have happened because, you know, some of my earliest memories of, you know, as a kid were ironically in therapist's office, you know, doctor's offices getting prescriptions of just here, you're going to take these pills every morning. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Like I didn't, you know, at first I didn't know what they were for. And then, you know, as I started to grow older and ask more questions and um, I started to learn about these things. And I think that, you know, getting diagnosed with autism is like, okay, that checks boxes. But then it opened this whole world of avenues of, okay, we're going to have someone help you with social cues. We're going to have someone help you with uh, interactions with school, with, you know, all of these different things that I didn't have of just the kid with ADHD versus, oh, he's autistic here. Let me, let's open these resources for him real quick. Were there, when you were initially diagnosed, were there any discrepancies between your parents on how they handled things and ways that you felt maybe one parent could have done a better job communicating or supporting you in any sort of way? So, and I'm sure Bailey knows this very well, um, our mother is, 
how do I put this so lightly? A very passionate woman. And she is. We'll go to it's a great quality at first. <laughs> go to the ends of the earth to go to bat for us, uh, day and night. And I, I do appreciate that about her. But I think one of the things initially for me was not knowing. You know, like it was. You know, I had the tests on my own. They tested me, and then they called us all in the room. They're like, "Okay, here's his diagnosis." I, I don't know if it was me being the awkward teen or you know, the autism, but I never felt like I had the opportunity to, you know, ask questions as an early adult. And most of my learning from autism came after high school and kind of learning about all of these things when I found someone who could help me communicate about with that and finding more like-minded people in college. That's a great point. I think the resources just continue to get stronger And I think that's amazing that you now have the resources and the tools to do research on your own. Because I've got to imagine, I mean, at 14, if you're diagnosed then, you're when you were 14, I mean, things were a little bit different than they are today. Even there's not as much research readily available 10 years, 10, 11 years ago as there is now. So I think that's really interesting and really cool. Um, Were there ever... Can you think of any way, so if we're talking to stepmoms who might be dealing with kids who either are diagnosed or undiagnosed with either ADHD or autism, can you think about potentially just some advice on how to handle kids that might have one or both of those? Like, how do you, what are things that they can do to try to make it better? And what are things that you feel like would be working against? Um, I think one of the biggest thing is find find out what they're interested in and help it grow. For me growing up, it was video games, as I'm sure you're well aware. And, you know, at first with the ADHD and, you know, growing up, it's, it was very limited. And, uh, oh, we only want to let you have it for an hour a day. We want you to focus on this because this is more important. But as I started to grow older as an adult, it's, okay, let's just kind of let him do his thing and see how it goes. And I think that kind of that freedom, which was uh, really important for me, kind of helped in creating the um, just kind of who I am today to figure out, okay, this is kind of my passion. This is kind of what I like to do and figuring stuff out. Well, I think it's worth mentioning, too, that you, you mentioned before that you had a hard time sitting still. And at least you had kind of given the example of your son and I would say just having witnessed said ability or lack of ability to, to sit still it's a it was a lot more than just like an antsy kid but the exception to that was is when you were doing something that you were so passionately interested in for you another thing was Legos you could focus for 13 hours straight on one of the really big Lego pieces that our parents bought you. But you had a hard time sitting in school, probably partially because it wasn't as interesting to you and you weren't passionate about it. But I think that just goes to show how important it is to do what you just said, is find what your kid is interested in. Give them a hobby. And that also is a an energy release for them, too. It's not just mental stimulation and something they're passionate about, but it, it gets a little bit of like that angsty, antsy energy out on something that is kind of cool and more productive. Okay, for the record, I have bought so many Legos for this kid. And here's what always ends up happening. He's into it for like 10 minutes. And then I sit there for hours. Like, I got to finish this. <laughs> I got to put it together like a psychopath. So I just I give up on the Legos because he oh really he likes the end result. But then once it's finished, he plays with it for, you know, a day and then he's over it. 
Austin, I'm curious, once you were able to have some of the group conversations with other people who were dealing with the same thing that you were, what tools and tricks did you learn just based on those conversations and things that they had done to maybe give you advice that had worked for them? Um, I think the biggest thing for me was kind of not only the ability to communicate with other adults, but to communicate with my own parents and kind of find resources, just just IEPs and 504 plans. Um, uh, I didn't, you know, my IEP was kind of more or less gifted to me as a kid um, than I really had to kind of do for it on my own. So going to college, you know, providing the right documentation and providing things like that, that's not something that I knew. So, you know, coming across people that were not only very helpful, but understood the situation were like, okay, this is what you're going to need. This is, you know, kind of things you're going to have to get retested, you know, things such as that um, were really helpful and just kind of the communication skills to communicate that with other adults. Can you explain what those acronyms are? I'm just not familiar. Um, IEP is the uh, Individualized Education Plan uh, set up by the American Disabilities Act. Um, It provides uh, young kids from ages um, 5 to 18 with the ability to have uh, resources provided by the state to uh, help with any special needs that they could possibly need. And the 504 plan is basically the college version of that. Um, Once you get out of high school, the IEP can no longer apply. So you do have to set up with your individual uh, post-secondary education program, the ability to use uh, those special needs provided by the state. And to elaborate on that a little bit, because my stepson actually also has an IEP due to an ADHD diagnosis early on, that also gets them, so not just help from the state, but also extra help within their schools. So that means they've got maybe an extra guidance counselor that checks in on them more frequently. They have once a semester a meeting with all the teachers and the parents to just check in and say, how is he doing? Is he getting the resources that he needs? It also means if you have some test anxiety that because of the IEP, you'll get some extra time on tests to complete them if you need that. So there's all of these extra things that they can do depending on the need of the child to really just, it's really just to try to help them be successful and to give them a customized learning environment that is tailored to their needs because it's not always one size fits all for that. So do you have to go through a primary care physician or can this all be done through the school? Actually, the in certain circumstances, the school can actually provide it. Um, for me, when I was in uh, middle school, uh, it was done by the school itself. I took um, the like some they put me in a room. I took uh, a few tests and you know came up with the result. I don't out of those tests, I don't know how they came up with that result. But uh, that's how at least I got my diagnosis. I didn't see a doctor at least about my autism until high school. But the ADHD and the special needs diagnosis I got before then was done by the school. And I just I feel like we need to say unless you are a full time stepmom, I really feel like this should be something that mom or dad does. I don't think it, yes. it should be something that the stepmom or stepdad pushes. This is Definitely, heavily, mom and dad need to be involved in the communications and the strategy. And if you can co-parent together, please do that for your child. But I think the stepmom can be helpful on the back end, but 
this is a mom and dad thing for sure. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think a couple of the stepmoms that message us really are, are saying they kind of suspect that there is some sort of issue happening. And those are things that you really just need to tread incredibly lightly around because any sort of medical diagnosis like that is incredibly serious and potentially traumatizing to the kid that's going through it. So really gently bringing that up with your significant other if you do legitimately sense that there's something wrong in a way that doesn't cause anyone to get on the defense. So perhaps saying something like, hey, I noticed our stepson is a little bit different or is having some anger issues or his teachers are saying that he's having a really hard time focusing in school and I see the same thing at home. Should we look into potentially look looking to see if there's something else going on aside from him just being a normal kid? But then you have to be okay if the answer is no, because it's not your kid and it's ultimately not your call unless you are, like Lee said, a full-time stepmom, in which case it, it most definitely is okay for you to be involved in that. But those are conversations that I could very easily see going south if someone just like lashed out at their husband saying, something's wrong with your kid, something's wrong. You know, I mean, that's not productive. That's not helpful. You have to really be sensitive to how upsetting that could be for the kid, for your significant other. Austin, so if you were in a situation where your parents weren't adamant about getting you tested or understanding maybe the extra needs that you had, do you feel like the school environment would have pushed that? Or what do you think that would have looked like on your end? From personal experience, schools don't care. Um, I love every school that I've been to. I love everyone that I've worked with, but schools don't care. Um, It costs them extra money to produce all of this out, and it is more resources that they have to use, so they don't want to do it. So when when we pushed... We pushed hard and the school, although some of them um, have resources and entire departments dedicated to this, if they can save the money and they can somehow, oh, well, you didn't provide this, you know, we're going to not give you the resources that you need or he doesn't really need this in his accommodation, so we're not going to provide it. Um, it's stuff that not only I've gone through, but I've seen tons of people that I know gone through where they're just not given the accommodations that they could use and not given the respect, I guess, that they're deserved. That's pretty heartbreaking. I would be curious if there are any teachers that listen to us, if you could share your experiences too with kids that either are diagnosed or not diagnosed, but you feel strongly that maybe they need some sort of evaluation, if you want to shoot us a DM or an email and share your experience around that, I would love to hear it. Yeah, I'm curious if you didn't have any resources behind you, do you feel like there's anything that you could have done as a teen or even into adulthood if you were undiagnosed, say, you know, that potential outcome what like what could you have done for yourself if anything do you feel like there's anything that you could have done well to be blunt i probably wouldn't have graduated college or high school if i wouldn't have gotten the resources and help that i need from the wonderful high school that i went to but the biggest thing is kind of you know until you turn 18 a lot of those decisions aren't really up to you it's up to either your parents the school or you know, a guardian, a step parent, you know, it's not up to you. You kind of are just along for the ride, which is a little unfortunate. But when you do turn 18, the state and uh, the federal government does give you, you know, the American Disabilities Act, the 
um, the uh, 504 plans and things like that that allow not only uh, special needs assistance in schooling, but in life. Um, that's what I think a lot of people don't understand is the American Disabilities Act doesn't just help with school, it also helps with life and providing you know job assistance and job protection and security and things uh, in special needs kids who go out into the world. One weird kind of random question that I have a story on, but I'm gonna ask you before I tell my story so I don't give you some sort of bias opinion, is a comment that we got. Someone had heard that caffeine helps kids with ADHD and that their doctor had suggested it to them to calm their kids down. Absolutely not. I don't know what doctor you're listening to, but coming from the kid who drinks four Mountain Dews a day, don't do it. It's a bad idea. Also, don't drink four Mountain Dews a day. That's a bad idea, too. But, okay, so the story that I was going to tell, and it's actually, it's funny you said that because I have the opposite experience with my stepson. So we, and we only found this out, so we knew he had ADHD, but we we're out shopping one day and he wanted to stop at a vending machine and he wanted to get this NOS energy drink. And my husband and I were like, this is a terrible idea to give. I think he was maybe 12 or 13 at the time to give him this energy drink, but he doesn't really drink soda and he doesn't get treats often and it was hot and he didn't want anything else that was in the vending machine. So we were like, all right, fuck it. Let's just let him have it. So we got it out of the vending machine and he drank about half of it. And I shit you not, within 30 minutes, he wanted to fall asleep. Like he was almost falling asleep standing up. And so over the years, we've actually tested this a little bit. And if he's drinking like an energy drink, he gets extra tired. And we have a family friend of ours who she runs a daycare center and she so she experiences kids of all energy levels with all types of of issues and she had actually said that she had done a test giving kids caffeine and using that as a supplement to medication it was doctor supervised but it did actually have an impact on those kids anyway so but i realize i mean those are just certain experiences and you have your own experience and there's probably chemically different things with each person diagnosed with adhd that would impact whether or not caffeine would have an effect but the question that i have for the parents that are using that is isn't caffeine kind of bad for kids anyways like do we want to be giving our kids caffeine i mean i'm not like a huge medication person either although when it's necessary i'm like absolutely take it, absolutely give it when it is medically necessary. But I I don't really know if caffeine is better or worse. I'm not a doctor. I'm not sure. Um, Is there anything, Austin, that you wish would have been done when you were a teenager to support you more? It's a hard question to answer because uh, at least looking back, I could, you know, come up with 15 million things being the adult that I am and the resources that I have now. But, you know, when I'm a kid, it's it's different as long as you're happy and going around. And I, I started making friends in high school and, you know, hanging out with people I felt accepted. So at the time, no, but looking back, you know, I, I wish someone would have checked up on me more. I wish, you know, if I didn't turn in, you know, certain things at school, if the teacher kind of went, hey, are, are you good? Like, you know, you normally turn things in on time or why aren't you doing your homework? <laughs> But, you know, looking back, I was happy. I was fine. But I definitely think there were some plenty of opportunities where I could have used a little more help. 
So one of the other questions we got was around, so that's teenagers, but younger years, she said that her stepson has ADHD and he is just angry. He's mad at everyone, at everything. Why? Help me understand, like, why you think that happens. And obviously, again, you're one person with one experience, but I still think hearing perspectives is really valuable. So I know that was also something that you dealt with when you were younger, but why do you think that was? Was there a correlation to either ADHD or at that time undiagnosed Asperger's or was it just that age? I mean, I'm, I've never been a teenage boy or an 11 year old boy <laughs> for that matter. So these are things that I don't know. For me personally, again, I can't speak for everyone's um, experiences, but I felt like I was alone a lot of the time. So I would have experiences why isn't you know why doesn't this happen to me i would see other people at school go and do these things or my parents got me this or you know things like that and i don't know if it had to do with my circumstances but in my head it it never was oh it's just because it's their parents it's well why can't i have that and you know as the you know five six seven year old that's the normal way to behave but as i grew older that's still 10, 11, 12, that's how I was still acting. And that's kind of where that Asperger's came into play and ADHD of that mindset of it's my way or the highway, even sometimes now, gets frustrating. And when people don't react a certain way to what I think is correct, I get frustrated. And it happens now, it happens at my job, it happens at school, it happens at home. If, if, if something that I've led to believe is the correct way doesn't happen, and I get super frustrated. Now, as an adult, I've learned to control that a lot better. But as a kid, that's, you know, those those outbursts, those tantrums, things like that. And you'll see that a lot throughout um, autistic children mm-hmm. and young adults. I think not even just autistic children, too, but also ADHD or even, I mean, depending on the kid. But I know my stepson especially has always struggled with unknown change or unexpected change. I mean, even today, he's 17 now, and if we have a plan and then all of a sudden that plan changes, he has a hard time adapting to said plan. And actually, it's a good point, Austin, you can't see, but he's pointing at me right now because today he was actually supposed to be here with me recording, and due to a little COVID exposure scare, he is not here today, but we're hoping hoping everybody turns out negative and everything's good to go. But okay, he, shout, shout out though, he has the whole setup. I'm very he impressed. He does. I know. And his audio quality is great, which we are very thankful for. <laughs> Yeah, Austin, like, what are you, are you using that for gaming or like, you're recording something? No, um, I was uh, going to get into streaming for a little bit, but I have, don't have the patience or persistence to get past the two maybe congruent viewers that I have for a month straight. But who knows, maybe in the future I might go back to it. But I just like the mic quality setup that I had. And I like this versus the attached to the headphones quality. Yeah, agreed. But yeah, so Austin's doing great today dealing with the last minute change. And I definitely have felt that too. So one of the ways that we dealt with that with my stepson was just if there was something that was going to change, number one, communicating that as soon as we knew it was changing, but also being a little bit gentle about the way that we communicated it. And instead of just saying, hey, we're going here instead, we're going to say, hey, this is what's going on. We can't do this because of XYZ. So we're going to go do this instead. And then leading up 
up to said changed event, we always try to like give him more prompts and give him just more information because the more information he had, the easier it was for him to understand and sort of accept what exactly was changing. And I can't emphasize that enough of just the communication and how much not only probably kids with ADHD, but definitely kids with autism hate change and hate when things that are set in stone don't happen. Oh my gosh, that is my biggest pet peeve if you set something up and you don't follow through. You have to be fair though, it's not always within the parent's control. Sometimes it is out of their control and there's nothing you can do about that. Uh, we've we've covered a lot of stuff. Uh, we're, I feel like we've just scratched the surface. There's so much more that we could dig into, but as usual, we pick these giant topics and we rely on feedback from our audience to tell us, was there anything in this episode that you wanted to dig more into? But I think a really good place, Austin, if you're up for it, to leave this episode on would just be, you know who our audience is. It's a bunch of stepmoms that are just trying to do the best they can in sometimes a shitty situation. And sometimes it's shitty because their kids don't like them or there's challenges at home. Sometimes it's shitty because they have a high conflict situation with their husband's ex-wife and all of that is out of their control. So knowing the expertise that you bring to the table around things like ADHD or autism or other types of learning abilities. Is there anything that you would want stepmoms to know if they are if they're dealing with a child that has those similar challenges? The biggest thing I think for me growing up was just communication. Hey, we're going to go to this. Hey, this is why you're doing this. I think communication is such an important part of not only growing up with autism, but just kind of growing up into a young adult. The more you start off treating your kid like a child, but more in treating them in a, as an adult as they grow up to those teenage years, but just communicating at them um, as an autistic mind of, well, why are we doing this? Well, because we're doing this now. Uh, just that communication is super important. And I think that's something that you should definitely learn to focus on. And actually, before we wrap up, there was one other thing that we had talked about before we started recording that I want to make sure we don't miss. And that is the sort of naming of these types of challenges or disabilities, if you want to call them that, and your perspective on what they're called now. And I mean, Elise and I have talked before, we, we call it high functioning, but that's not really right either. So when you have a kid that is dealing with these challenges, Austin, what is your perspective on the most respectful, inclusive way to talk about those? So for me, I found it more empowering to just use the name. If I've got autism or uh, Asperger's, use that word. If they're high functioning, if whatever is more comfortable to the person and that individual who is talking to them, that's definitely what I would use, just communicate. I personally like to call anybody who is not autistic neurotypicals because that is just the way that the brain is wired and I like to thank the Netflix show Atypical for that, but um, it is definitely kind of something that you have to communicate and figure out with the person on your own instead of just going with what you want, kind of figure out what's comfortable with them. Austin, is the I think I've seen this Atypical show. Is it where different levels of autism and they're dating or like their parents are like setting them up or like they're going out and dating? I think I've seen this before. No, that is uh, another show on Netflix that is very fun. Atypical, I think it's in its fourth season now, is about um, a kid who is in high school who is autistic. Um, he is a little higher on the spectrum than I am, but his it kind of shows it from the struggle perspective of the parents and kind of how some of his experiences, but how his experiences affect 
the family. I think that's I mean, it's really cool. I've, I actually know at least what show you're talking about. And I in my head, I was like, yeah, that's totally the show. But you're right. And I have watched Atypical and highly, highly recommend it. Even, even if you don't have a kid who you suspect is autistic or has ADHD, if you have any kid in your life, I think that show has some super amazing underlying messages about patience, about resilience as a family, and all of that, especially in a blended family situation, is incredibly useful. Well, I look forward to watching the show. And Austin, thank you so much for being on and honestly, like being vulnerable and telling us your story and some of the stuff you went through. That's Amazing. We appreciate you immensely. And it was nice to meet you two weekends ago in person. Of course. It was nice to meet you as well. Well, if anybody has questions for Austin or has questions for Elise and I after the fact, you know how to get a hold of us, but I'm going to remind you again. Our Instagram is at stepmonsterpodcast, and you can always email us stepmonsterpodcast at gmail.com. We are here for you and excited to hear your thoughts and your comments. Bye. Bye. Austin, you got to say it. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 